Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord. It's a great word. You are a great God, and now we pray great God that you would teach us, be a great teacher this morning to us, in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 47, verse 29, started the last three verses here of this chapter, getting into uh, next chapter 48. The time drew nigh that Israel must die, Genesis 47, 29. The time drew nigh that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph, said unto him, if now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me, bury me not, I pray thee in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he swore unto him, and Israel bowed himself upon the head, the bed's head, going on to the next chapter. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give thee this land and thy seed after thee for an inheritance, for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons... Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came into thee into Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Sibion, they shall be mine. And thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren and their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, a Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath, and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. Now, in our last study, you remember we saw this very sobering statement that verse 29 starts off with, which said, Israel must die. I mean, what a statement that is. Israel must die. The time drew nigh that Israel must die. I mean, really to see the power of that statement, you really have to kind of substitute the name Israel for the meaning of what does Israel mean? What does the name Israel mean? E, it's made up of three words, Ish, Sar, El, Ish, Sar, El. So Ish is man. And Sar is prince, and El is God. So really, the word Israel means the man who is the prince of God. Now let's plug it into verse 29 and see how it comes out. The time drew near that the man who is the prince of God must die. (laughs) That's something. Even the man who is the prince of God, who had power over the angel, he had to die. So what it shows us is that death is unavoidable for us. We all must die. Hebrews 9.27, as it says, Hebrews 9.27, it's an appointed time. 
It's appointed unto us once to, unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And since the Lord only wants what's good for us, and he tells us that in Psalm 84.11, Psalm 84.11, which says, the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So we shouldn't fear death. In 2 Timothy 1.10, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Those are very comforting. Very comforting words to know that the Lord doesn't recoil from death when it comes time to die. Well, what he does is he sends his angels, very special, very special. He sends his angels to carry home to be with him his saint. How do we know that? Because that's what it says about the beggar in Luke 16.22. See, Luke 16.22 says, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. He was buried. So it's such a special thing. It's such a precious time, death, when it talks about in Psalm 116.15, Psalm 116.15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Well, that's what's happening here. I mean, the time of Jacob's death is, it's drawing closer, it's getting closer. The man who, this is the man, this is the man here, Jacob, who we have come to know him very well, we've come to love him, and we see that he's coming now to die. So really, uh, verse 29 it's kind of like an invitation for a memorial service for, for Jacob. I mean, we're in the mood of memorial services now. And only he's not dead yet. But we still want to look back a little bit over Jacob's life here because it's coming time. And when you look back over Jacob, Jacob's life, like in a memorial service, I mean, what do you see in Jacob's life? When you look in the, in the book of Genesis and you look back over this life of this man, what do you see? I mean, we followed him from his birth and what do we see at his birth? Struggle. He's struggling with his brother Esau to be born first. And the baby is trying to, to grab his heel and pull him back. So I'm going to go out there first, you know. And then what do we further see in his life? Struggle. He struggles again with his brother Esau. His brother Esau's got the right of the firstborn, and he, he struggles with him and gets him to sell his right of his firstborn and then what happens? He leaves home. He has to run away from home, actually. And he struggles. Well, actually, we could say that he struggles with his father to get that blessing of the firstborn. He has to deceive his father. And then when he finally runs away from home, we see him struggling again with Laban to get Rachel his for his wife and the cattle. And then finally, we see him struggling with God in Genesis 32. He struggles with God, and he says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. So he's struggling, and not finally, but actually he goes on, and he's struggling with his children to find out, what did you do to Joseph? What did you do to him? So when you look back over this life, you just see it's one struggle after another. It's a life of struggling. And that's why when he described his life to Pharaoh, as we already saw in Genesis 47, 9, Genesis 47, 9, he said to Pharaoh, few and evil have been the days of the life of my life been. Why is it called? But that's what, it, that's what a life of struggling is. A life of struggling is, is evil. And that's what we've come to understand about Jacob's life as we look back over it. It's, just, it's a life of one struggle after another. And why, why was there all the struggling? Because 
there was something that he said when he woke up from that infamous dream that night in Genesis 28, where he saw the ladder. And we get an idea here of why he was struggling so much in life, because he said in Genesis 28.20, monumental words in his life, Genesis 28.20, Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on it, so that I come again unto my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Now, what that shows us there is the reason why his life was a continuum of struggles. Because when he said, God, if you meet all these conditions, then, then you will be my God. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that said it all. You know, that said it all. It showed us the simple truth at that point in his life. The fact was, the Lord was not his God. That's it. He said, if you do all these things, then the Lord will be my God, which meant that the Lord was not his God. So when Jacob said that the Lord was not his God, that simply meant that Jacob didn't take his orders from God. He didn't take his orders every moment from, of his life from God. It simply meant that Jacob did not make decisions in his life based on what God as his master wanted. Well, that wasn't part of the equation. So what we see in the life of Jacob is what happens to any person when the Lord is not his God. And all this heartbreaking, really heartbreaking struggles that we've seen in the life of Jacob is what happens to a person who says, the Lord's not my God, that's all. I'm not saying God is not God. I'm not saying I don't believe in God. I'm not saying he's not the Lord. He's just not my personal God. He's not my God. And so when God is not in the driver's seat in a person's life, when a person doesn't see himself as owned and managed by God and really put himself in that position, when a person sees himself as, no, I'm the master of my own destiny. I make my own decisions. You know, when a person lives like Frank Sinatra's song, I did it my way, which means I didn't do it God's way, I did it my way, that's the life of a person who is saying the Lord is not my God. That's, that's very simple. Now, and that's why we really love and we appreciate the life of, of Jacob because we identify with it. We identify with it because if we're all honest, we were in the same boat. We will make the same confession as Jacob did when he wrestled with God, which was so interesting back there in Genesis 32, 27. In Genesis 32, 27, God, the man who was God who was wrestling with Jacob, he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Now you read something like that and you think that's almost laughable. I mean, he's been wrestling with this person all night long. And it's like, you know, and God's saying, wait a minute, I forgot, I forgot his name. I say, it's getting a little hard now, but what was your name again? <laughs> it's like, that's not what happened. I mean, obviously God didn't forget the name of the person he was wrestling with, but God wanted Jacob to make this confession because the name that was given to Jacob at his birth was the name that characterized the struggle. Yuck, the heel grabber is what Jacob means because he was grabbing the heel of Esau coming out of the birth canal there. He's grabbing the heel of Esau. So he said, what's your name? God says, and so he brings this point out, who are you really? Who, who really are you? And God is wanting us to make the same confession to him and say to, say to God, yeah, 
my name is Jacob's also. My name is Jacob's also because there's a Jacob inside of me, right? A Jacob who has gone through life from one struggle to another, living a life without the Lord as, as my God. Okay, that's Jacob. Well, the great news about Jacob is that he didn't stay that way. He didn't stay in the state of the Lord is not my God. And it all changed that night in Genesis 32 when he wrestled with the man who was God. And he got his hip put out of joint, pretty painful. And he emerges that night really with something very new. And the something very new was the Lord was his God. The Lord was his God. And to commemorate that great change, that happened in Jacob, he got a new name, Israel. As we've read about the the life of Jacob in Genesis, it's all been very exhausting. It's very exhausting for us to follow Jacob through one struggle in his life after the other to the point where he got broken and he finally, the Lord is his God. But it's very important for us to see this. It's very personal for us, very personal application. That's why. More than half of the book of Genesis is about this person, Jacob. Of all the characters in the book of Genesis, more is written about Jacob than any other character. That's why, because there's a Jacob inside of each one of us. And the Jacob inside of us does the same thing. It says, thank you to God, but no thank you. Thank you, but no thank you. I want to do it my way. And that leads to this life of struggles and frustrations that we've been reading all about. Finally comes the night as I mentioned here, the night of the breaking, when Jacob is broken, he emerges a new, new, he emerges out a new man. He's a born again man. He's a new man. He's a born again man. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So, well, now he's approaching his death. He's approaching his death. And that means that Jacob is approaching what the Bible calls the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So Jacob now, he's approaching his death. And so, like I said, Proverbs 4.18. Proverbs 4.18 is the verse. The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. That's what's happening. Verse 29, when it says the time was coming when Jacob must die, it's telling us Jacob is winning. Jacob is winning. He's approaching death. He's not just going to heaven. He's going to heaven triumphantly. He's approaching death in verse 29. He's not just drifting into heaven's harbor. He's sailing in with full sails and a spinnaker. (laughs) He's really coming in winning. He's coming in verse 29. He's winning. So different from when Frank Sinatra did die. And as he approached death in that hospital bed in Cedar sinai in Beverly Hills, and with his wife, Barbara, the only person that was with him, he was fighting, and she was saying to you know him, keep fighting, keep fighting, try to breathe. He had trouble breathing. Try to breathe. And his last words were, I'm losing, I'm losing. It's so different. So with the start of verse 29 now, we've come to the beginning now of the last section, let's just say the last chapter, so to speak, in Jacob's life. And this last chapter here in Jacob's life, which is the chapter of his death, will be from this verse through to the end of the book, will be the preparation for his death, his death, and his burial. That's what we're going to have here in the rest of the book of Genesis. So from verse 29, with the approach of death for Jacob, we have really the approach of the death of the last of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. And Jacob's death is going to be for us the conclusion of the book of Genesis. It's going to be the conclusion of the history of the beginnings, the hist- God's history of the beginnings. So now that Jacob knows that he must die, there's something very pressing on him, something that's really bothering him. And you can see that when it says that in verse 29, verse 29, he called his son Joseph, said unto him, if now I have found grace in thy sight. Now look at this, he says, put I pray thee thy hand under my thigh. Deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I'll lie with my fathers. Thou shalt carry me out of Egypt. Bury me in their burying place. And then Joseph responds, I will do as thou hast said. And he says, swear unto me. And he swear unto him. And then he bows himself upon the bed's head. So he calls Joseph. He probably had a messenger go and call Joseph. And he starts out by saying, in verse 29, if now I have found grace in thy sight, what I pray thee. He says, if I found grace in thy sight. This is the patriarch, Jacob, speaking to his son, Joseph. I mean, this shows us the humility of Jacob to say to his son, if I found grace in thy sight. He's appealing to his son's affections to him as a father. And he asks him, put your hand under my thigh, which was a custom Uh, of the strongest vow possible. And the whole idea with the hand under the thigh was that the person who was making the promise was to see that the person he was promising to was putting his whole being in his hand. He was depending on him. He was relying on him. So what's important for us to see here is this strong determination that Jacob had to bring his body out of Egypt and he binds Joseph with the strongest oath possible. So who else in Genesis used this method of the hand under the thigh? Who else? Right, it was Abraham. Abraham for Isaac. Right, it was Abraham for Isaac. As in Genesis 24, we remember when it says, Abraham said unto the eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I'll make thee swear by the Lord the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of Canaanites among whom I dwell. I shall go unto my country, which happened to be Syria, and to my kindred, which happened to be Syrians, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Now, why was it so important for Abraham that his son Isaac not marry a Canaanite? What would be wrong with marrying one of the local girls? What was it? They're okay? (laughs) So... All right. Great sinners in the areas of sexuality, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's Canaan. Great sinners in the area of idolatry, idolatry. And so why was it important? Why was it so important that Abraham not marry one of these Canaanite women? Is because he knew he, his son could very easily be drawn away from God. I mean, the promises of God to make a great nation from Abraham and to bless all the families of the earth and to bring forth the deliverer through Abraham, it all had come down to one person, to Isaac. It was all in Isaac. Everything was resting on Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's only son. Now, when you think about Isaac and the history we know about Isaac, what kind of a person 
I mean, how would you describe Isaac? What kind of person was Isaac, would you say? Was he a bold, strong character, or was he more the timid, retiring type? What are you going to say? He was mama's boy. He was more the timid, retiring type. You remember? Sarah, his mother Sarah, was dominant, with a capital D, over Isaac, right? And we saw that when Ishmael was mocking Isaac, and boy, did Sarah come up. She came up with fire and fury. <laughs> she said in Genesis 21.10, Genesis 21.10, Wherefore Sarah said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman, that'd be Hagar, and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. So, pretty strong person. And by the way, um, Rebecca was kind of a strong person too. Uh, she was the one who told uh, Jacob, go deceive your father, obey my voice. I don't know why the patriarchs married such strong women, but they did. And that's just the way it is. I don't want you to think that there's any strong women among the Jewish people today. <laughs> anyway, and then you remember Isaac, that he retreated from taking a stand against the Philistines who stole his wells. They stole his wells in Genesis twenty-six fifteen. Genesis 26, 15, for all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. Now, you know, they steal his wells, and then he come, the king of the Philistines come and says, you're stronger than us. So what does Isaac do? Does he say, yeah, you're right, I'll show you. No. In verse 17, Isaac departed and pitched his tent and so Isaac was a non-confrontational person. He was a gentle soul, so to speak, you know. And the picture that we have of Isaac that really characterizes his life is Genesis 24, 63. Genesis 24, 63, where it says, Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. He just liked to go into the quiet fields and meditate and be with God. That was Isaac. He wasn't trying to conquer the world. You know, he just wanted to spend time alone with God. That's why he lived the longest of all the three patriarchs, because he wasn't prone to having heart attacks. He would rather eat lunch. Anyway, but Abraham knew all this about his son Isaac, and Abraham knew that a wife would make or break Isaac. So Abraham was very concerned to make sure that Isaac did not get a wife from the Canaanites. And, he, and Abraham, Abraham himself, he would have gone out himself and gotten a wife for Isaac, but he was too old. He was too weak at the time. As Genesis 24, Genesis 24, 1 opens up, Genesis 24, open, 24, 1 opens with, Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I'll make thee swear. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 